This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, friends. Did you know that I write personalized songs? That's right. I'd love to write a one-of-a-kind custom song for you, a friend, loved one, co-worker, significant other, or anyone else. Makes a great gift for anniversaries, birthdays, graduations, holidays, or any other momentous occasion. I also write and record jingles for businesses, brands, or podcasts. Please email me at kristamakes at gmail.com for more info. I look forward to writing you or that special someone a song that will last a lifetime. Hey everyone, today's guest is my old friend Dan Andriano, bassist and singer for the Chicago, Illinois band Alkaline Trio. Dan and I go way back to the early 90s in his days as bassist for Ska Punkers Slapstick. Today we break down the 2003 Alkaline Trio fan favorite, Every Thug Needs a Lady, taken from their 2003 album, Good Morning. Dan mentioned when he sets out to write a song, it's kind of an all-at-once thing. While he may come back to it and work on it at a later time, when he initially starts writing a new song, he doesn't have lyrics tucked away somewhere in a journal for reference. The song is always something that is in the moment for him. In yet another episode here of the podcast, we talk about what producer Jerry Finn brought to the table, along with co-producer Joe McGrath. And Dan and I bond over the frustration of trying to get drummers to hear what we're hearing rhythmically in our heads. And I never in a million years thought there would ever be a connection between Alkaline Trio and the rapper Ja Rule. But there is. For all this and much more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. There is a lot of history between me and Mr. Dan Andriano, and I'd like to, to let the listeners in on this a little bit. Um, and I got to say, this is from absolute from the heart. I am I'm so proud to know you and to know where you came from and that whole Chicago scene. It meant so much to me. And, you know, the guys uh, in Dan's first band that I'm that how I met Dan slapstick out of Chicago. So they were a ska punk band. You know, whenever I talk to you or Brendan or some of the guys, it's kind of like, yeah, that was our first band. We were kids or whatever. But the amount of talent in this band cannot be understated. Uh, Slapstick, I got their demo tape. Uh, yes, I'm aging myself. Uh, probably mid to late 94, someone sent me this cassette and I was delivering pizzas in Gainesville, Florida and I popped this thing into my, into my truck and I went, holy shit. This is like our brother band. Like I'm hearing like less than Jake, but it was a little tougher. Brennan was a little snottier and it was just I was immediately attached to these songs. Four months later, 
five months later played a show together and then uh, on less than jake's first u.s tour we did a bunch of shows with with the slapstick guys pete anna their trombone player ended up joining less than jake uh for the hello rock view record uh he and and tour he was with us for uh for about three years uh after slapstick uh, dan went on with uh other slapstick alumni, Matt Stamps, the guitarist, and Rob Kellenberger, the drummer, to form Tuesday. And Tuesday uh, had a lot of success. I mean, considering all the bands out there, you know, you guys formed this band, and just because of, I think, where you came from, there was an immediate buzz. Brendan Kelly went on to form the Broadways with another slapstick alumni, Dan Hannaway. And then, of course, Brendan went, uh, went on to form the Lawrence Arms. And then uh, eventually, Dan. Uh, ended up playing bass for the Alkaline Trio. And I wanted to give everyone a little oral history with all this here because it just, again, it can't be, don't want to be understated of, of how, uh, you know, the talent that was in that band. And it's just a pleasure to to be able to talk to you today. Oh, man. It's nice and cool to hear you say it like that. It's funny, like, the way you put it, though, because coming from Gainesville, like, we had, that was, like, the time that we had started discovering there was cool things going on all over the place and Gainesville being one of them and we a very similar situation I'm not sure how I think Stamps probably got a tape or someone in Elgin got a hold of songs that would then go on to be on Pezcor you know and right. we all felt the same way and we had gotten in touch and then when we finally got down there that was you know we went and stayed with you I think oh mm-hmm. gosh we like we listened to Jawbreaker Dear You for the first time <laughs> yeah. you recall this? Yeah. I we, do recall we yeah, were our, sort our, of sitting there like what happened to Jawbreaker? Yeah, what happened to Blake's voice? Yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, you guys came and, and crashed at our apartment, which it was back in the day where you didn't mind waking up to fifteen dudes in your apartment. It was it was okay. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was like if if it didn't happen, something was wrong. <laughs> yeah, Are we but okay? uh, I I just <clears throat> I wanted to start the episode off by by telling you that to tell you how much I think of all you guys all the time, how much you guys meant to me, and just how much damn raw talent that band had. I mean, look what all you guys have done. I mean, you know, that- it's. That means a lot. It's crazy to think uh, in terms of ratio, like how many of us are still doing this when you think about it, like because the odds are stacked against the, you and the odds um, are very stacked against you and i and i think really again it just boils down to to that talent uh not many bands have that many members and hell pete would probably still be with us uh pete anna uh had he not wanted to do other things with his life he just was kind of kind of grew out of touring but uh god we loved him to death and and i still keep in touch with pete keep in touch with uh pr- pretty much all you guys I haven't talked to dan uh, or rob and, and, and matt stamps in a minute but everybody else uh, i keep in touch with but uh uh, anyways, let's let, let's jump in here. I, I had asked Dan what song he'd like to discuss today, and Dan picked the song "Every Thug Needs a Lady" from the album "Good Morning," which was released on May thirteenth, two thousand three, and uh, set this one up for us. Dan, do you do you recall uh, uh, writing the track? I do. Yeah, I mean, I chose to discuss this song because I feel like this is a one that people request of mine an alkaline trio song of mine that people request quite a bit i get a lot of flattering messages about come sing this song at our wedding that's awesome and uh yeah it's very flattering and i just don't consider myself that person but i've done it i did it for a dear friend uh one time and uh maybe i could be talked into doing it again but it wasn't like a money thing it was a friend thing and it's definitely weird right because i've it's been weird as hell <laughs> You've done it? You've played at someone's wedding? Not in someone's wedding, no, but I've played it at birthday oh, like parties. like a private... And I, yeah, and I've been asked to do that, and, and there's a lot of 
pressure because you know I'll, I'll play a handful of solo shows a year just for fun but I, I've never liked myself as a solo artist and that's not my thing I'm in, I'm in a band you know right. and it's just there's a lot of pressure yes. <laughs> that comes along with that well see that's where I take issue with a lot of certain play for hire type of things like I feel pressure instantly when that happens like if I oh, book yeah. a solo show if I'm going on tour like we do what we do because we've always wanted to do whatever it is we want to do. <laughs> so when I go out and play a show, I might have a set list, but I can do whatever the hell I want. If someone kind of hires me to come to a private thing and they say, hey, I'm I'm hiring you because I want to hear this and this and this, it's like, okay, well, you've made my set list and I'm not <laughs> going to have as much fun just because of inherently who I am. Like, there's still a punk in this person somewhere apparently well and i think too and you can attest to this you guys have certainly done uh you know the radio stations and the record stores want you to come and play acoustic yeah you know and you're in there with the acoustic guitars and it's just you're you're kind of naked you know you don't have 105 decibels of a pa roaring at you and and derek back there blasting away and and skiba's guitar coming at you and you know so it's never at a good time because you'll be playing a gig (laughs) if it was so it's like you know 10 45 the mall just opened. Yeah, yeah, we want you here at 9.45 in the morning. Good Lord. <laughs> There's a yeah, line we... outside the Apple store. They won't shut up. It's crazy. Luckily, that was more of our major label days. Luckily, we don't get too many of those anymore because I hated it, you know. And and I've talked to other guys that uh, were, were in, you know, had bigger success at, at radio uh, on this show, actually, about doing that kind of stuff. I talked to somebody recently. just like, yeah, that that grind uh, up at 630 in the morning when you when you've crawled in your bunk at five. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah. get up. We got a live radio. <laughs> you know, a lot of that, though, is that's your own choices. Like you didn't have to go to bed at five. Your gig was over at 11. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, if you're lucky enough to have Ryan Seacrest wants you to come and talk on the radio, not that I'm pining to go, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you're obviously attaining some level of success, and now you're just sort of humble bragging or whining yeah. to an extent. And But that's what comes with age. You know what you I mean? You sounded like, like Dad Andriano talking just now. Dude, I, like- I got to say, people <laughs> would be bored to tears to hang out with me. I'm, you know, I'm go to bed. It's enough with this up till five. Exactly. Well, I got to ask you about the title to Every Thug Needs a Lady, because uh, when, when when I went to research the song, this Ja Rule song kept coming up from 2001. That, that there was a lyric in it that every lady needs a thug. Was that a bite off that at all? It absolutely was. Every thug needs a lady. That was me okay. <laughs> and my wife. So we would have been engaged at the time. And uh, she had just moved to Chicago <clears throat> pretty recently. And um, we were in, a, in an apartment, a shitty apartment, just kind of listening to music, drinking a lot of wine. One of these evenings, it's cold. So we're in, you know, and we're just putting records on back and forth and just whatever kind of comes up. And then she puts on this Ja Rule song and we're giggling and we're having a little moment. You know what I mean? So that was the catalyst for, you know, that song and what where we were at in our relationship at the time. Uh, That moment kind of made me want to write that song. So I bit that for the title, you know. Well, the timeline makes sense because the Ja Rule song came out in 2001 and Good Morning was released uh, in May of 2003. So mm-hmm. that, that totally makes sense. And I'm married now, 2002. 
So right okay. in there somewhere. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned a, a moment ago that you do remember writing the song. And um, the, the previous record, From Here to Infirmary, was released uh, in April of 2001. Um, I know you guys were touring your, your faces off uh, between then. It's, a, it's amazing you even had time to hang out with your wife and get married in between that because you were just out there like we all were. Yeah, those um, Warped the, Tour days, too, as you know. Yeah, that's, dude. Uh, exactly. That's your whole dude. summer. Bye. <laughs> see ya. See ya, see ya in two months. Mm. Um so when you say you remember writing the song, do, was it uh, uh, something you you wrote later for the record or was it early on? Do you, do you recall? I remember being that one was pretty prepared. That was one of the first times that we worked with Jerry Finn as a in a production role. And right. So that was one of the first times we did pre-production. And we actually uh, went out there for a few days. And that was one that we had pre-written. We had most of the songs pre-written in terms of how it ended up turning out. I th- probably fairly close to where it was when I demoed it in the apartment. But again, I mean, it's pretty much an acoustic song, you know? Well, and I, yeah, and I've seen that. That's why I talked about the acoustic performances a moment ago. I, when I went and uh, was looking up videos in the song, I saw you play this a ton by yourself and actually with, uh, with Derek and Matt playing, I think you were in some uh, record store in Belfast. I saw Uh. (laughs) you guys, you guys playing, playing the tune. So uh, yeah. And I always tell people, and you can attest to this, uh, most of my ideas, I got my guitar right behind me. My acoustic is uh, what I write on. Yeah. You know, and it just kind of kind of translates to the song. Uh, I noticed that the the record was recorded at Cello Studios. I think that was that part of the Ocean Way Studios. I believe so. Okay. So Cello used to be something else, and it's where Pet Sounds was recorded. Okay. Right, the B room at Cello, and then they had a bigger A room, and I think it was next to Ocean Way. Well, I noticed that Jerry got a co-production credit along with uh, Joe McGrath. Joe um, McGrath. Yeah, and so how did Joe come into play and with in conjunction with Jerry? Because when I went and uh, uh, looked up Joe, a lot of his stuff that he had done was more recording and engineering, but he did get a production credit on this record. He was the engineer, and as the record progressed, Joe was given a lot of great ideas, and Joe was doing a lot, and it was Jerry's idea. You know, Jerry was like, I think we should give Joe production credit as oh, well. Oh, that's really nice. And at first, we, we were... We didn't even, I don't even think we realized at the time, uh, the sort of gravity that thing carries in, uh, you know, at least in Hollywood and when it comes to major labels and working within within those circles, uh, we were like, yeah, totally cool, <laughs> you know? I mean, we, we knew it was great that we hired Jerry to, to work on our record because we liked the records that Jerry made. But in terms of him sharing a production credit, I think we were still a little green at that point to the to what that meant. And... So yeah, it was really cool of him to do, but uh, well, I think yeah, Joe you're, deserved you're, it. You know, you're probably the sixth or seventh person I've had in the show now that has worked with Jerry, and uh, as if I couldn't love the guy anymore. I never had the chance to meet Jerry or work with him. I oh, really man. wish I did. Uh, just the, the stories about him, I, sonically, the stuff that he did, the ideas that he brought, and uh, like I said, if I couldn't love him anymore, you, you just said, uh, you know, it was Jerry's idea to give this this uh, this person a production credit, which is just. Uh, uh, so cool. Um, not uh, not a lot of producers are that uh, forthcoming. Jerry really was great. He was a special person. He made some great records. He gave everything to those records. You know, I don't think he expected Alkaline Trio to be... I mean, maybe he did, and that's why he did it. He expected it, you know, and that's why he put everything into him. But I don't know that it... You know, we were on a smaller label. We were... But he still was there every day doing his thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
Well, and so, that goes to show you too. I mean, this record came out on Vagrant Records, which Vagrant were were right there. They were just below a major. They were selling a lot of records, but I mean, Jerry Finn wasn't cheap. I mean, he was a sought after producer at, at that point, and uh, you know, for you guys to be able to secure him is uh, it just goes to show you how many uh, how many records were still being sold in two thousand three. And this was the first time, to my understanding, that you you would work with Jerry, correct? It was. He mixed from here to infirmary sort of as a favor because he knew Mike from working with the Smoking Popes. Okay. And then we had um, hired as a manager our friend Eric Anderson, who you've got to know. But he, uh, and he was the Smoking Popes road manager. So, and he got along with Jerry very well, um, and as did Mike. So he came in to Chicago to mix that record and probably go buy a bunch of guitars at the music exchange. And, you know, he had fun mixing that record, I think, but it wasn't anything he had his fingers on. So in terms of production or engineering, <clears throat> so he liked the band and I think he liked where we were at. So when we asked him to do good morning, he was, he was fully in. Where was everybody's heads at when you, when you brought this idea to the band? Did you, had you demoed it? And, and uh, what did the band and, and, and Jerry and Joe McGrath uh, think of the track? They thought it didn't fit on the record. Really? I mean, I think everybody did. I mean, that was, that's a pretty, Dynam- I don't know if dynamic is the right word. That record has some um, definitely contrast uh-huh. uh, between Matt and I. I'm not fully in love with it in retrospect. Like I liked, and that was a time where like I was writing my songs, Matt was writing his songs, and that, that's what we were bringing. And we weren't exactly, unless Jerry had an idea or Joe, like we weren't writing together as much. Hmm. And I'm not sure it had something to do with you know. Matt moving to California not long before then obviously would have something to do with it. But, you know, we figured that out since. But that was the first record, I guess you could say, since uh, he had been out there. That's interesting. You know, I'd have to go back and listen to Good Morning in context uh, to, to see what you're saying about the not fitting on the record with the other songs. Because to me, this just this just bleeds Alkaline Trio. I just I hear <laughs> it sounds uh, like you guys, you know, this this song. I think that's speaks to the song and I guess not to pat myself on the back but there's a certain transcendence I guess if a song speaks to people and it fits like I mean I think it fits now in retrospect but if nobody liked the record we might be saying and what was up with that every thug needs a what is he talking about you know what I mean um yeah, and, it, like, and it's funny. It's funny that it, that it's a love song with 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 that title, uh, which is great. And I, I something else I want to talk about. Um, you know, you've always been a great bassist. The bass you. tone, the bass tone on this song's ripping. It oh, just man. sounds so rich and full. I don't know when the last time you actually put the track on, uh, Dan, but. Uh, it just sits so perfect in the track. Do you remember re- recording? And we don't get too much into gear here on Krista Makes a Podcast, but just want to talk a little bit about this just because it's it's killer. Do, do, you, do you remember the setup? And was this just kind of, you know, your your rig that was mic'd up? Or did Jerry or, or Joe have any suggestions with this? That would have been all Jerry and Joe there. Um, I was using their, <clears throat> Jerry always had the best guitars. Man, I could talk about Jerry's guitars on a whole podcast alone. Um, <laughs> and that was before we even really got into the collection which we did on crimson but so that would have been jerry like he loves to bring in amps and gear and i think for that that record was just mostly ampeg probably bi-amped with like a b15 and maybe some kind of weird guitar amp 
barely mixed in there. But I used uh, jazz basses on that record almost exclusively, I got to say. It's just such a warm, uh, warm, fat tone. I just, uh, I love it, especially, especially in the verses of this track. And uh, let's, get, let's get into breaking down uh, the song. The song is three minutes and 18 seconds. And it's interesting because it's I kept listening. perfect pop song length. Yeah, Perfectly. it is. I kept listening to this over and over, and I'm going, why is this going by so fast? Because there's really, when we get to break it down here, there's not a lot to this song in terms of parts. And I'm like, why is this going by so quickly? Because, I mean, three minutes isn't, and 18 seconds isn't an excruciatingly long song. It's, like you said, pop song. But, you know, it's not a two-minute song. It's not something that's going to go by, whoa, that, that happened quickly. The intro, reintro, and uh, the second reintro, they're all 15 seconds a piece. They're all two measures. That's 45 seconds right there of, of that intro part. And the intro is just classic Alkaline Trio. It comes on. It just sounds like you guys. It was really cool when I went and, 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 and looked at that. Uh, again, the intro here is 15 seconds. It's two measures. The drums are halftime. And then we get into the, the first verse. And uh, I want to talk about these lyrics. Um, I know it's dark here. You know what? I'm scared too. For some reason right now of everything but you. And right now, you're all that I recognize. You know, I came here when I needed your soft voice. I needed to hear something that sounded like an answer. And I wait here, and sometimes I get one. Yeah. So that was uh, a, a love letter to your wife, just kind of what you were feeling? Yeah, that's me pretty much getting ready. You know, that's me saying I'm ready to settle down. Uh, <laughs> uh, not that I was ever that wild, but that's pretty much it. I mean, that's uh, the darkness, I suppose, if... I mean, that's her. She had moved away from her family. She had moved to the Midwest. She's a Southern girl. And, uh, you know, there's weather's different. It's a whole, you know, no friends. It's a whole new thing for her. Just trying to let her know that I'm, I was there with her and scared about a whole lot of other things as well. So was this specifically written for a song or were these just kind of something you were jotting down in a journal or, or a letter you had written her? Or was this, was this like specifically for every fuck needs a lady written? This was written for that. I mean, that's pretty much how I do it. Like, I don't, I don't really write journal lyrics. I write lyrics when I'm writing a song. Like, if I'm okay. writing, sitting there playing a guitar and I've got a part, like, I, I probably wrote that intro thinking that was a hook in itself because I like that rhythm, that ba-da-da-da-ba-ba, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, it's great. And so if I give you two measures of that, I'm happy with that as, as enough to, like, bring you in. But then I'm gonna. I want to start. Then I'm thinking. I've okay. I've got to start singing now because that's not enough. There's no lead. There's no. You know. If I'm just writing the song and producing it by myself, which at that time, in demo form, I sort of was. That would be what I was thinking probably. Well, yeah, and but piggyback on what you were just saying, the it's perfect. The intro is just long enough. It, the groove is is. It doesn't go on to where there needed to be a lead. There needed to be something on there. I think it's it's great. And and as I said, it is total alkaline trio and this verse uh, for lack of a better word it just bleeds chicago man this just has that chicago sound that you are so part of alkaline and and smoking popes and uh it's just it's instantly recognizable when i when i hear that and it's just uh i i love love that first verse i love how it breaks down that bass uh the tone of your bass there do you remember if the lyrics was the music written first or were you kind of writing as you were you know strumming the guitar just writing as i'm strumming that's pretty much how i do it i'll get a part i'll start trying to come up with something and 
I'll have a part, I'll write a verse, and if things are going well, I'll continue, I'll maybe come up with a chorus, uh, and ideally, I'll finish the song, but that rarely happens. I'm, <laughs> I'm very often, I get verse, chorus, and then I get, ooh, what's that? A mole burrowing in the yard. I've got to go over here now, and like... It's uh, it's pretty crazy ping pong, ping pong balling around up in my head. But and then it takes me a while to actually get those ideas down. So like I'll and I'll remember, ooh, I had a cool verse and a chorus. But then when I try to go back to it, I'm sort of out of the groove. And then it's going to take me a while to finish that song. And that's that's my Achilles heel is um, focus. You know, uh, I, finish. I, I, I... What is it with us musicians? I, I think most of us are like that. You know, I can totally relate. It's like, oh, look, there's paint peeling off the ceiling. I need to go check that out now before I finish the song. <laughs> I think it's like that lack of nine to five attitude. You know, like I've told myself my whole life, I can do whatever I, I can. I have this very fortunate uh, option to just write when I want, but it's not, it doesn't work like that. You get an idea. At the worst possible time, you're like driving down the road with, you know, and there's children involved or, you know, and you can't just stop what you're doing and write, go write a song. But there's people I know, musicians like us that have a dedicated schedule and they're not me, though. They have a place to go and they work for this amount of time. And uh, I've got a pretty nice setup here. I've got a pretty nice home studio. I could get a lot done. I just... I don't. I have all these ideas floating around in my head, Chris. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. It's a misery. I don't know what it's to do hard. It's hard to focus sometimes, and it's hard outside of your band. You know, a lot of times when, when I get together, I'm sure you can attest, you know, you're now it's like, okay, now we're working. We're all together. That's what we're here for. But when you're left to your own devices, it's a, it's a little hard to focus sometimes. You just mentioned a moment ago, you know, you I, I get the verse and the chorus, and then, then I'd move on. And when you said chorus, I looked at this next part here. 
this next part is what I'm calling the chorus, but there's also the part after it I'm calling a post-chorus, and I want to get your feelings on that. So what I'm calling the chorus is this. It's nothing I'll forget when the moon gets tired. You are stuck to me every day. Believe in what I am because it's all I have today, and tomorrow who knows where we'll be. Do you consider that the chorus of this song? It's nothing I'll forget when the moon gets tired. You are stuck to me every day. I would call that a pre-chorus. Pre-chorus. But I don't, I mean, or chorus A, chorus B, like this, <laughs> this is a weird, one of those weird songs that Jerry Finn was probably like, I don't even know what to do with this. There's it no is- bridge. There's no like, or it just kind of flowed, you know, and it goes from A to B to C. Getting back to what I was saying a moment ago, I was like, this song's 318. There's no bridge. Like, you know, and then I, when I was breaking it down, like, okay, but you have three intros that are all 15, and that's 45 seconds of the song. But um, yeah, I don't, there's no rules here. This is, I just, you know, love breaking down songs and trying to figure out the parts. Me too. I initially had, I initially had thought that, yeah, this is a pre chorus, but the part after it doesn't sound like a chorus to me. So that's what I'm calling the post chorus. And the lyric here is from here, I can hardly see a thing, but I will follow anyone who brings me to you for now, forever. For on and on and on. And tomorrow knows Chorus, chorus, or chorus, post-chorus, whatever. This is the part. And uh, right after this, it goes back into two measures of the reintro. Same as the top of the song with the halftime drums. So up to this point in the song, do you remember, I think a moment ago you said that the, the arrangement kind of was what the demo was. Was uh, Do you remember any changes to, to it? Or, or did Jerry uh, or Joe have any suggestions of, you know, this definitely has to be halftime coming back in here with the reintro? Or, or I remember I was pretty firm on that of what i wanted derek to be doing and unfortunately i do remember there was some uh like derek who never has a hard time with anything because he's so good at everything yeah. i wouldn't say he was having a hard time but he was he was sort of getting in his head like and derek was with that da 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 like he doesn't play with double kick and i mean there's no cheating not that that would be cheating but i mean he was trying to do things like he does and he started getting in his head just because he didn't get it like right away and so it was a situation where derek wanted to get up and take a walk and get some air and then jerry was like is he gonna be able to do this i was like of course i don't know why he's you know he do it in pre-production yeah he did it in pre-production but you know like so then he came back and nailed it but then i was like okay now reintro same thing it's got to come out of that part right da, 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 you know yeah and so then you know it was a little bit of a push and pull like i don't want to frustrate derek and i also don't want to be i'm not trying to brian wilson the situation but <laughs> and like that's that's where we sometimes in the studio get uh, frustrated with each other and it's just natural as you probably can attest to but it's like oh god i'm yes. not saying this is how the song has to be but this is what i hear in my head so this is what I want to hear from us before we decide, right? Like, I at least want to hear it flushed out 
And that's frustrating for other people because they're like, well, why are we wasting time trying to get this figured out when I can already tell you I don't like it? And uh, so that's frustrating yeah. for me to hear. But it's also like we're done with passive aggressive. We're done. Who knows how we were at the time? We were probably hella passive aggressive and saying all kinds of weird shit under our breath or whatever. But that's the vibe now. But that, again, comes with maturity. How hard is it, too, to not be a drummer, to try to articulate to somebody that's as good as Derek? Right. That's always, that's always been my hard part is, like, I can program drums, right. <laughs> but I can't, I can't play them. I can hear it in my head, but it's very difficult for me to uh, explain that language. to. And you'll, sometimes you'll have drummers look at you like, dude, get out of my way. Right. <laughs> it's not your lane, bro. Um, yeah. But I... I like to hear at least or try to flesh out what I'm hearing in my head. And then I can be like, okay, you're right. It's not that cool. <laughs> Move on. Yeah, and, it's, well, and, and, I'm, and I'm done with it. I'm not like festering. I'm not holding on to it. I'm done with it. I just had to, had to hear it because there's something wasn't jiving. And, um, but anyway, like with that in particular part, there just seemed to be a, more tension than I think there needed to be. Well, I've always said, too, if you want to piss off your bandmates, say what you just said. Just say, guys, I just want to hear it once this way. <laughs> I know. Just once. I'm probably the worst. Just, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. but you always and, and, and they look at you like, I don't want to give you your one chance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, damn it. I just want to hear it once. Just play it with the kick pattern this way. Just one time, please. <laughs> this was Derek's first record with you guys. This was not his first recording, but his first record. We did a record. split with uh, Hot Water Music. That's that right. You did the it. cover of, uh, of uh, they did the cover of Radio. Yeah, they did Radio. We did Rooftops. Right, right. And for those listeners that don't know, uh, here's the the, the, the lineage here uh, continues. Uh, Derek Grant was the uh, original drummer for the Suicide Machines, who we did a ton of shows with. Uh, D- Detroit guys, which weren't too far from the slapstick guys, so we all uh, we all cut our teeth together. So after the two measures here of the halftime reintro, we get into verse two, and there's uh, something really interesting here. I want to talk about in a second in verse two that that I, I really can't make sense of, but it's really cool. Uh, but we'll I'll go through the lyrics first. You know, it starts here outside, waiting in the cold. Kiss me once in the snow. I swear it never gets old, and I will promise you I can make it warmer next year. You know, I came here when I needed your soft voice. I needed to hear something that sounded like an answer. Now I stay here and every day I get one. So that's progress. (laughs) It was sometimes (laughs) and now it's every day. And you're still referencing the imagery of of the, uh, the snow and you're talking about making it warmer. Yeah, that's a potential move to the south. Greener pastures ahead, which we ended up doing. Something really interesting here I was, I was mentioning a moment ago is an acoustic guitar comes in on line two. Uh, it starts at, I swear it never gets old, and I will promise. Just between those lyrics, there's this little acoustic thing. It's like in the right speaker and the left speaker. No, I swear it never gets old, and I will promise you I can make it. It's such a cool part that it could be there the first verse, or if anything, I feel like it should have been there the whole second verse playing off off what you guys were doing rhythmically. It's such a cool little thing. That's like Derek, when Derek first started getting involved in like production and things like that. That's right. fully Derek. It's typically, okay, this part's on the two and the four, or this part's on the one and the three. And and here it's just like this thing comes in, and, and I don't even think I noticed it the, when I was listening to the song maybe the first or second time, and then as I'm going through and really dissecting, I'm like, whoa, 
There's a little ear candy there. That's acoustic guitar. What is that? And I'm like, why isn't it anywhere else? Because <laughs> we're dumb. <laughs> That's do you recall, really cool. Do you recall Jerry or anybody else saying that it just needs to be there or anybody thinking it was the placement of it? If, when you go back and check it out at some point, Dan, it's, it's Jerry it's was probably so frustrated with us that he was probably like, oh, you want to put this pointless guitar thing in here? Sure. <laughs> I'm going to go get some coffee. Joe, take care of that. Um, you know what I mean? Like he probably was at a point where he wasn't even thinking about maybe this would be cool to have everywhere. He was probably just like, sure, let Derek have his thing. So that was definitely a Derek <laughs> thing, that acoustic guitar. Though. Yeah. And he's yeah. really good with a lot of stuff like that. I think it works in context. It's just uh, it's very different. And it, uh, it it really it really stood out. And I I like that you're kind of perplexed about it. <laughs> and the, the kind of thing that probably, you know, obviously got forgotten. I'd have to say, I don't know that we do that live. Ever, you know, I mean, as a band, I don't think yeah. it ever got played. Which so. was interesting. The the acoustic performance from the record store in Belfast, I saw you guys. It was Derek and you on acoustic and, and Skiba was just kind of hanging out. <laughs> With sunglasses on. Yeah, uh, he, had sun, he looked like the Unabomber. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hood up. <laughs> I know that performance. Look, look like he had, maybe he might have had a rough night the night before. Who knows? Um, I think, it, <laughs> yeah, if it was... Uh, we all would have had a rough night the night before. <laughs> um, we get into chorus two, chorus two, uh, or what or what I'm calling chorus two. Um, it may, maybe Dan would refer to this as the pre-chorus. It's the same as the first one, and I'll read it again. Uh, it's nothing I'll forget when the moon gets tired. You are stuck to me every day. Believe in what I am because it's all that I have today. And tomorrow, who knows where we'll be. Uh, goes into the post-chorus two, uh, which is, uh, again, same lyric from here. I can... Hardly see a thing, but I will follow anyone who brings me to you. For now, forever, for on and on and on. Was this always the same? Did you ever have any other lyrics or was there thought of, you know what, I, I kind of want to maybe change up the second chorus a little bit or, or this should just be the same? I think I wanted this part to be the same. To me, this is the, I guess this is definitely the chorus because this is when I'm driving home the, the sentiment. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then knowing that I get into sort of a part d next which is almost like a not a bridge because it doesn't go anywhere except the out but it's interesting that uh i feel like i probably kept these lyrics the same because i knew i was going somewhere entirely new yeah and the song would be over after the second but dan's calling the chorus uh after it says uh, for on and on and on we get into what i'm calling the second re-intro but it's not halftime it's double timed. The band's just kind of cruising along, but it's the same uh, chord progression as the as the intro. And that goes through two measures, and it and it's cool because. It harkens back to earlier in the song, but it's a different feel because of the groove of, of the drums. Do you recall it always being that way, or, or, or was it? Did you ever try halftime there and be like, I don't know, maybe we should, maybe we should just double time this? I think I always wanted to just keep it trucking. Once that second chorus hits, we don't want to go back to that because at that point, you don't want to bring them down again. I think we want to keep them moving at that point, keep it fun. Here's something that I definitely used to do a lot. Our arrangements were really before we started working with producers. And I wish sometimes I could get to a place. Maybe you could relate to this, Dan. Get to that place of just complete reckless abandon of, yeah, that's how the song ends. It's just a new part. And like, well, <laughs> dude, it, you know, because that's what this is. This I'm calling.
completely different chord progression. And I love this part because it lifts. And just when you think it's going somewhere, it just you run into a brick wall. The song just stops abruptly. And I love that aspect of it. The outro lyrics are, so go plug in your electric blanket. We can stay in till our southern summer wedding day. Go plug in your electric blanket. We can stay here. What was the idea behind that? Did just you wanted to it to be different and be weird and, and, and not go back to the chorus, I guess? Yeah, I mean I guess I kind of felt like I'm I'm here in this major I'm just gonna stay here one, five, four and carry it out. Really. Instead of you know, because the way the song is it just sort of flows part into part into part. And then I didn't feel one, it'd probably be start to get a little long winded if I went back to that chorus again. I don't even know how we'd do it. Like we're trucking along, right? We're in that third reintro, which is kind of just more like an instrumental break, and we're trucking yeah. along, getting a chance to breathe. Derek doesn't have to worry about that crazy halftime kick drum anymore. And then it's similar, but it's different. So it's like a whole new chorus slash outro. I like the imagery of the lyrics here again because, you know, and, and definitely now that we talked about, of course, you, you now live in Florida and, and you've been with your wife for a long time. But, you know, you're telling her, go, go plug in your electric blanket. We can stay in until our southern summer wedding day. Yes. You know, basically, um, this song is just about one guy whining to his wife about the cold who also hates the cold. That's the long and short of it. <laughs> Which you picked a bad spot to grow up in, man. Chicago gets pretty was, brutal. Oh, my God. As soon as I left that place, I got the thinnest skin you can imagine. Whenever I'm in the cold now, I'm just like, this sucks. What are we doing? Yeah, Why am I here? Isn't that weird? Why do people live here? Yeah, it's pretty I, wild. Something interesting about this song uh, that you brought up was the, the band almost seems like they were kind of indifferent. Jerry uh, seems like he was indifferent about it. Do you remember what Joe thought about it? Did Joe like the track? or? I mean, I think everyone liked the song just in terms of... Uh, how it fit in context how with the record. How it fit in context with the record and everything. I think people liked the song and wanted it on there, but... It was definitely, maybe we were afraid it was going to stick out a little. Okay, well, the reason I bring that up is because you also said, and I can see it, because when I went and watched those uh, acoustic videos, and I've seen you play it, uh, went and saw you play it solo, the audience is just screaming every word back at you. You can just feel the love and adoration, and you even mentioned that it's become a fan favorite song, and that's interesting because I've had that happen where I just think a song's just going to be an album track, and it ends up being a fan favorite, and then other times, of course, I'm sure you could relate. You got a song, you're like, I know our fans are going to love this, and you go play it live, and it's just like crickets. It yeah. doesn't get a reaction. You can't fe- oh. You can't figure out why. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we did not do it that time. It was a show. Uh, it's yeah every thug needs a lady is that's the song for like solo shows i don't put that one on the set list because depending on how the show is going i can play that one like if if things are going downhill quickly i'll play that and maybe turn things around or you know or depending i can if i know i've only got like 20 minutes or whatever opening up for like Streetlight Manifesto or something, I'd come out and open with that and try to get as many of the kids who might know who I am, they probably know that song. So I'll try to get their attention, you know. It, it's kind of the feather in your cap, so to speak. You just go out and kind of rely on it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, not not that I take it for granted, but it seems to be pretty popular in that regard, you know. Do you remember playing the song live with the band the first time and what the, what the reaction was like? You know, I don't. 
I don't okay. remember. I mean, I, I remember it being one that we didn't do a lot right away. Now we, we'll play it more often now, but it was, we were trying to be, at that time, so good morning to her, we were bringing fucking coffins out and putting them on stage. Like, I think we had a another guitar player. We were trying to do all kinds of shit, so we were probably trying to incorporate an acoustic guitar for the jangle. And then all this stuff in rehearsal, and then once it comes time to the to make the set list for the first show, that's usually when Matt would be like, eh, we got to wait on that one. And so, and then a week of tour goes by and you've waited on that one and then you're comfortable with the set list and it's like, oh, we'll work on that one at soundcheck. And then it just kind of slips out of the rotation. So we didn't play that one a lot at first when that record came out. Do you think it started getting played more later because of of how the fans reacted to it and and uh, you know kind of had legs amongst the fans? It's interesting. I, I found with with my career that sometimes the longer a song's been out, it starts to resonate. It's not immediate because sometimes when you wrote a song, those fans were younger and they had maybe went through what you were going through, and then now when they're they're at that point in their life, now it hits them right and 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 they get the track. Yeah, I mean, that's probably got a lot to do with it. I think at a certain point it was like, should we do this? Let's just do it. Rock, no acoustic guitar, just try, you know, and that was probably when it started to flow and we started to be able to play it live. It's just to sort of change it. We're not going to try to make it as pretty. We're going to do it differently. It's going to rock a little harder and it is what it is, you know. Well, uh, well, listen, I, I want to thank you so much. I, uh, to the listeners, I've chased Dan around for about six months now. And uh, wanna... now you won't be able to get rid of me. I want to yeah. be a regular guest. <laughs> well, I, I, I missed you, my friend. I, I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed catching up with you today. And I want to thank the uh, Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group, all of the uh, people that have joined in there. You were number three. I know. I want to of... apologize to them for not being Weird Al. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I wish in many ways I was. What I a, wish I was Weird Al what too a sometimes. Holy cow. I, I know, right? I but, saw uh, him in St. Augustine maybe like two years ago. It was great. It was great. Interesting fan base. <laughs> I could, especially in Florida. I could only imagine. <laughs> but it was a good show. What a guy. But yeah, I want to again thank everyone in the group for uh, suggesting Dan. I had him on the uh, on my bullseye for a while, wanting to get him on here. So uh, man, it's so good to talk to you, Chris. And it's, thanks it's, to everybody. It's great to talk to you, and uh, I'd like you to leave the listeners right now with anything you have going on, solo projects, anything with the band coming up that you'd like to uh, to plug. Matt and I are trying to write songs for Alkaline Trio. I might be going um, to a recording studio as uh, safely as possible next month to sort of just see what happens with my own songs um great so yeah stay tuned i don't do the instagram things as much as uh people would probably expect but i do post things about my upcoming doings and songs and things awesome perfect well again thank you uh so much it was it was really cool to uh catch up and uh, talk to you awesome chris thanks so much when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. 
Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Tightwire, a punk band from Minneapolis, Minnesota. The band members are Paul Kettler, Tane Graves, and Parker Thompson. Here's a snippet of their song, Six Feet Deep. It's a curse, then it got worse, you got me six feet deep. I was a fool, you think I could have called as a tool, just dead. It's good like me, no R.I.P., got me six feet deep. The Rap with Chris and Chris. All right, man, that was a great one. And I think everybody in the Chris Makes a Podcast Facebook group is going to be psyched because just like as you mentioned at the end of the episode, it's pretty impressive that there were 188 different people you could pick from. Everyone got one vote of who you want to see on an upcoming episode. And right behind number one, Weird Al, and number two, Billy Joe Armstrong, was number three, Dan Andriano. And we got him. <laughs> uh, so that was great, man. No, I thought that was uh, really cool to see. And it just goes to show you the the adoration of fans for for Alkaline. I mean, they just love, uh, people love the Skiba episode. Um, they their fans are, are some of the most hardcore fans, and uh, uh, that uh, little list you put together was in having Dan number three's testament to that. Hell yeah, man. One thing you talked about in this episode, and I have it in quotes in my notes, but is that Chicago sound, which when you say that, me or any of my friends, we know exactly what you're talking about. And when you say that, what I think of is A, all of the unique voices out of Chicago in the punk rock scene. And Dan is definitely one of those very unique voices. You could hear Dan sing one word and you'll go, oh, that's Dan Andriano. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I think of people like Josh Caterer from Smoking Popes. Uh, and, uh, and I think of like, even when you get into more like even more punk rock side of that, I think of like the singer of like 88 Fingers Louie <laughs> and, and people like that that have these like, very recognizable, cool voices. I mean, you know? t- t- Tim from Rise Against, Ben Weasel, right? Uh, from Screeching yeah. Weasel. I mean, you hear Ben's voice, like, "Yep, that's him." No one sounds like him. The very recognizable and that Chicago sound of just uh, where alkalines uh, bore out of. I think, yeah, there's more to it than just the unique voices. It's also the lyrics. It's always these very specific, detailed lyrics that come from a very emotional place. That's one thing I see is like a thread between a lot of Chicago bands that I love. And another thing is, so these unique voices with these very descriptive lyrics over very loud guitars. <laughs> I always think of that too, the very distorted loud guitars, you know? And Yeah, and Chicago is just such a massive metropolitan area, just the pool of bands there. And the the, the breadth of talent is just, it's just un- unbelievable. And as I talked about at the top of the episode, just, uh, you know, we met Slap. And from slapstick, just look at the splinter of bands that came out of that and the, and the, the talent that came from that band. It's just uh, it's incredible. And it was just so cool to uh, to catch back up with Dan. As I said in the episode, I've been been chasing around for about six months to get him to do this. And finally, we made it happen. And a big theme in the song that you guys are talking about was the coldness of Chicago, which is something that I wanted to touch on. Oh, Chris, I know I know that in your touring experience, you have experienced that Chicago wind on like the coldest day of the year. And I have, you know, like my top five coldest I've ever been. And I could say that number one for me personally was one time I was at Niagara Falls at like 
the first week of January and I was looking at the falls and a mist came over from the falls over top of me when it was already zero degrees. I think of that as being like my blood was freezing in my veins and and like <laughs> and, and, and like cutting me from the inside that's how cold it was but the second coldest i can ever remember and i know my my bandmates could uh testify to this was one time we were doing our first ever tour with fallout boy and we played a chicago show and we stayed at Joe Troman's parents' house. So we were we had to walk like we had to park our van and trailer like ten blocks away and walk through Chicago carrying our, you know, our sleeping bags and backpacks and everything like that for ten blocks of a breezy below zero night in Chicago. And that is definitely my number two of coldest I ever was. Yeah, they don't call it the Windy City for nothing. It uh if, if you've ever yeah. been to Chicago, you know in the wintertime it's brutal. My coldest time in Chicago, and, and if you remember, you remember, Blizzard of 96. It was uh, January, I want to say 5th. We played the Fireside Bowl in Chicago. I want to say it was with was with Slapstick, and uh, I've never been so cold in my life. My cousin had driven over, cousins had driven over from Detroit, and they were down about a block at a bar, and I went down to meet him for a beer. And on the way there, the snot on my face had frozen, dripping out of my nose. That's how yeah. cold it was. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe that we as dudes in touring rock bands tour through the Midwest in like January, February. Like why? Why don't we just tour like California and the South and stuff and just wait till the spring? Why do we do that to ourselves? And I I can't believe people go out to shows at that time of year. They'll go out. It's kind of like I've always likened it to people in Florida. You know, it could be pouring rain and people will come out, but uh, there's other sections of the country it's pouring rain. Ah, it's raining. I'm I'm, going to stay in tonight. But people are resilient up north, man. Chicago, they'll go go out in 20 below. Ah, just put some gloves on and a hat. You're fine. And that's probably the inspiration for a lot of the music that they're listening to is things that have happened in those cold Chicago nights at a show and things like that. So there is sort of a uh, romantic aspect to it. Like when I look back at it, like, yeah, I don't want to be standing out in that cold, but there's something romantic about it looking back on it. No, it's it's true. And that's uh, kind of the whole uh, idea here behind uh, Every Thug Needs a Lady. You know, Dan even said it. It's just re- referencing that cold and uh, wanted, wanting to be warmer with his love. You know what else could make you feel warm, Chris? What would that be? The feeling of giving, especially giving to this month's fundraiser at ChrisToMakesADifference.com. That's right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, each month here at Krista Makes a Podcast, we do a fundraiser. We like to give back, and it's all because of you guys that we can give back. Your donations and generosity are very much appreciated. This month's fundraiser is the Superhero Center for Autism, which is a nonprofit organization in the Rockford, Illinois area, offering support, education, and resources for individuals with autism and other special needs and their families. So please head over to KristaMakesADifference.com. That'll link you with their page where you can make a donation, and uh, like I said, Said, thank you so much for your generosity. Hell yeah, man. The listeners of Krista Makes a Podcast are extremely generous, which is very evident by every month seeing how much people 
give to all the great organizations we've had on here. So thank you so much to everybody out there. That is super awesome. That makes me feel really good about podcasting, seeing that. Uh, I'll tell you, I've said it before, you know, each month we do this, Chris, we get emails from the organizations afterwards thanking us profusely for the contributions. And, it, and it's really not us. We're just, we're just uh, uh, provi- providing this. It's the, it's the listeners that are giving. Uh, thank you so much again for, uh, for, for helping out. These are, these are wonderful organizations that we're, uh, we're trying to bring some awareness and some help help too. Uh, and if you'd like to advertise on Krista Makes a Podcast, we're also offering that now. You can shoot an email to advertising at soundtalentmedia.com and uh, advertise your business here on the podcast. You can advertise whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess there are certain limits of things you can't advertise. Can people advertise <laughs> like their OnlyFans pages and stuff? I guess you you theoretically could. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. You yeah. know, as, as, as long as uh, nothing is, is you know, uh, over-the-top offensive, uh, sure, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it might be time for us to start an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> Just me and you, you know, we could raise funds. What if we did that for, our, for the Krista Makes a Difference one month? <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, if you're interested in advertising, you can just you can hit up the email address Chris said uh, and uh, otherwise you should follow Chris on Instagram I'm not going to talk about my own you can find me too but less than Chris D uh, give him a follow we're always posting stuff via Chris's <laughs> Instagram I guess you could say that's right follow me over there I, I promise to be kind to you and I want to thank this week's guest Mr. Dan Andriano from the Alkaline Trio a dear old friend of mine for being on the show it was a great episode and we'll see you next week Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station. It was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! The Wrath of the Buzzer, WMMS, Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.